Think about what you did as a child. What did you enjoy? What did you get lost in? What caught your attention? What's that thing you might do today where you still feel childlike? Because I still feel like playing and being childlike is so important. And obviously sometimes for women, that's just like, you just got to have a long to-do list and (laughs) there's no time for fun. And so it can feel really hard and selfish because that's what we're taught more so if you see men play video games more often than women do and more playful not always encouraged with us so I can understand why it can feel selfish and why it can feel hard but go back to child and what you do today what brings you joy create a Pinterest board sometimes it's a lot easier with with images then you can just keep it secret no one has to look at it that's easier with images than sometimes writing things down It's been longer than I would like to admit since I've been abroad. I focused on paying off debt, got distracted by the everyday moments in life, and was content with enjoying the memories of past travels. Then COVID hit, and I found myself reflecting on the following questions. What I wish I'd done differently, dreaming about all the places I wanted to see, and thinking about where I would go next. That's part of why I spoke with Jen Ruiz from Jen on a Jet Plane in the last episode. I'll include a link in the show notes. But I also found myself wanting to actually live abroad again. I missed the experience of being outside of my comfort zone, speaking a different language, and experiencing something new while living somewhere different. Also, I hate to say it, but my dating life is just so much better outside the United States. Living abroad has been on my mind a lot recently. So I thought it would be fun to hear how today's guest designed a better life overseas. There are some important things that I do want to point out before we get into today's conversation with Bianca Hughes. She is from the United Kingdom and moved to the ATL, that's Atlanta to the rest of us. She made a significant career change during her time here. And I love that I'm having this conversation about making a deliberate and intentional move overseas with a Black woman, because we often don't get to hear this perspective. Let me know what you think after you listen to the episode. Welcome to Michelle. Michelle is Money Hungry. I'm your host, Michelle Jackson, and I focus on holding financial conversations that lean into social equity, policy, and access with a splash of pop culture. My goal is to lead these conversations with empathy and help both my listeners and myself learn more about money along the way. When I moved into digital entrepreneurship, I found myself collaborating with brands, doing a lot of 1099 work, and needing to send out invoices and set up systems to keep my business organized. It has been an ongoing process process to find the right tools and systems for me. I'm so excited about a new tool that I now use that allows me to invoice clients, set up tasks, create contracts, and even track my time as I work on those tasks. I also use it as a CRM or client relationship management system. What's the tool's name? Harlow. I am obsessed with Harlow and I'm so excited that Harlow has partnered with me to bring the conversation around women wanting more personally, financially, and professionally to life. Harlow is a woman-owned business designed by former freelancers who understand the challenges of keeping creative businesses organized. I love how responsive the team is to my questions and emails, which is a really big deal as they continue to improve and refine this really new tool. If you're looking for a comprehensive system to organize your invoicing, client management, and keep yourself just organized in general, I encourage you to give Harlow a try. I'm also a proud affiliate. Go to michelleismoneyhungry.com backslash Harlow to check it out.
Bianca Hughes. And the question people always ask, and I ask them before they even ask me, I am from London, born and raised to Caribbean parent, but I do live in Atlanta. And I am a therapist. I specialize in perfectionism and I have my practice authentically BU counseling and wellness. And with that, there's also a podcast and some speaking engagements. And I also just created a new book. So I guess I'm also author now, a new ebook. <laughs> you no guess you are. What's the name of your ebook? <laughs> it's called It's Okay to Be Imperfect, just available on my website. Normally I don't talk too much about if I'm speaking with entrepreneurs, we don't talk too much about what they do at the beginning beginning of a conversation. However, I am very, very intrigued by your work with perfectionism and women in particular, and how it can impact the moves they make in the world and mm-hmm. how those moves can influence their money. And so this is like a very broad question. What are some of the things that you notice within your practice that your clientele might be doing unknowingly and those habits or thought processes might be also influencing their money in whatever way that you, you observe. Go with it. This is very broad. Yeah. When I'm speaking, I'm also going to speak from personal experience just because of my own struggles with perfectionism. So a bit of both. So the first one is unrealistic expectations when it comes to money in the sense that we should know everything but then we weren't taught everything. Another thing is when you are doing well in your money decisions and things like that, because you might not be where you expect yourself to be, then you're beating yourself up and very critical. So then that will come along with, again, those unrealistic expectations of ourselves. The other one is which I can totally relate to is I can do really, really, it's kind of that black and white all or, all or nothing where I could do so well with my money and then just be like, oh, I'm frustrated and have a bad day and then just blow and spend all this money, right? And that would be one extreme to the other versus somewhere in between. So it's very hard to be in the rainbow of colors, I like to call it, instead of gray and be in the middle. It, it's often with that, it's either this way or that way. And there's no and it's this way and it's that way. And so when it comes to that and, and you know, money is also seen as a way as, as performing. And with the perfectionism, there's a big part of performance and attached to self-worth. And so when it's your money's not the way where you think you should be, and I like to use the word should because that's very inflexible, and then you can then feel like you're you know, an imposter, you then feel totally inadequate. And so those are some of the things that can come up. How did you get into this type of therapy? Again, I'm very intrigued. (laughs) Was there like a moment where you're like, wow, this is something that I'm experiencing that I would love to kind of work through energetically. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of evolved from there. Or was it just something completely different? Kind of walk (laughs) us through how you became a therapist working with clients who are struggling with perfectionism and and how it impacts their lives. Yeah. And I'm laughing because (laughs) it, it wasn't the first one. It was something else. I really honestly wanted to do some work with men because I had done a lot of work in ministry or in working with women in particular, working with women who had been sex trafficked and things like that. So it was a lot of heavy work that I had done, especially, you know, and also working with women. So I really felt that there was more of a need and support. Well, God had a whole nother idea and it was like, no, you can work with 
people who struggle with perfectionism. And I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. I'm kind of over that, which was a lie because I'm not, I don't feel like you're ever really over perfectionism. I just think you understand it more. And so after kind of having a tantrum about it and kind of calming down I saw the wisdom in it like you said working with them energetically and it made sense because I could totally see and totally understand their experience and 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 really connect with them and now I'm here and I love it I'm going to ask one last question along this vein but it's kind of a cross-cultural question and it's phasing into the the bulk of our conversation so Um, You very graciously agreed to be a guest on the show, kind of sharing your experience changing countries and how your entrepreneurial journey was impacted being in a new place. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, as you work with your clients, are you attracting primarily US-based clientele or London-based or both? And what are the differences that you see in your clients? I'm sure that there are some glaring things where you're like, whoa, I didn't expect this one thing to be so different based on where they are. Or maybe because you live in Atlanta, maybe you're working with US-based clientele and maybe you're noticing something from different regions. This is very, again, a very broad question, but I'm curious about this and maybe a little bit nosy because we're, we're going to start really talking about choice and money and, and space and place. And I think your working with people really gives you some insight into what makes people tick, but working through a cross-cultural lens is a whole different skill set, which obviously you have. Could you share some very broad experiences or observations? Because I think that would be interesting for the audience. So in answer to your question, because I'm in based in Atlanta in Georgia, I'm only really licensed here. And then I also in um, Florida only for online. So I don't have anyone who's from London. However, I do have clients who might be first generation like myself. So I was first generation because my parents were immigrants. So they may be first generation here, whether it's from the Caribbean or whether it's from the one of the countries in the continent of Africa. And so I do experience that or some who were born in another country. So I do sometimes do, do have that experience. So I guess the difference is I actually have to work harder sometimes if it is a US-based client because I was not raised here I came here as an adult so I don't even have you know I you have to think I came here 26 going on seven so I miss my foundation years is from England so I have to sometimes work a lot harder um, in understanding why things are the way they are because I guess so for example an example is in England or even in Europe there is a lot more protesting and things like that where I noticed there wasn't as many here and things are just generally the way they are so that was a big factor having to adjust to that learning things about the redlining of course there's racism but you know when you talk about the redlining and things like that it's different and so when you think about racism yes and I do come from a families that were enslaved but often I hear that well the people from the Caribbean have more of a culture where some Americans um, black Americans may not feel that way it's having to understand those nuances those things that I don't really know and really connect to and really listen and really learn and be honest and say hey 
sometimes you know I tell my clients sometimes you know I wasn't born here so I'm not going to know everything and then when I have clients who are either immigrants or first generation it's it's very easy it's a lot easier you can just slip into it because we have that very similar experience that impacts our upbringing I am so intrigued by the idea that you moved from London. I should also bring up that I've lived abroad several times. Mm. Um, as an adult, I lived in Paris. So I definitely, <laughs> <laughs> Parisians and protests is a whole level. Okay. <laughs> and so I do have, I think, some insight into what you're saying about just like the nuances that impact the place that you're at and then being a part of the diaspora and, and not always like there's some things that are universal and there's just some things mm -hmm. that are, are not because of where you're from. And, and so I, I want to understand what about moving to the U S what, I guess the better question would be, did you move because you, you were in school? Like, did you go to school in Atlanta or like, how did it happen that you went from the, the UK to here? And what was the, the feedback like? from your peers, your friends and family? Um, so no, I, I didn't come as for school. I came with a job, came with a company that I got. So it's called, what's an inter-company transfer. So it's a L1 visa that I initially had for three years when I came here. And I had always wanted to come to America, always had been a desire because I wanted to have an, a different experience of living in another country. I never just wanted to live, live. I never wanted to live in one country my whole life. And so even when I came here, the idea, I never had intended to stay. That wasn't the focus. The focus was the experience. And so that's how I came. And I think, well, not I think, I know for me, I, I had a lot of support um, and encouragement. And I guess also, again, when you're thinking my family are immigrants, so they're all over the place. So to move to another, like we have family in, in America, we have family in Canada. So I think it was just very normal. I know sometimes I hear people, especially here, that, oh, my gosh, you're moving to another country. Why would you do that? It's very fearful. But I guess for us, it was very normal. There was just a lot of support. And there's still a lot of support for me being here and staying here and all the things that I have done whilst being here. I had a slight flashback when you mentioned your visa. My last mm -hmm. job before I start entrepreneurship basically was working with adult international students. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, J1, F1, KV, like all the visas. So um, yeah. woo, uh, <laughs> I stressed, I got stressed out, which is why I don't do it anymore. But I would love to hear about, I understand that you had this transfer, but what, how did saying yes to this opportunity impact your financial decisions? Like, yes, you were going to be working and, and you had a secure situation, but what were the other things that you thought about before moving overseas? And part of the reason why I'm asking this is right now there's a, a movement actually across the world mm. where there are people making people of color in particular black people exiting the countries that they're from. I've seen it in the U S referenced as blacks it I've seen black Brits actually kind of 
not as frequently as as African Americans, but reference like departing uh, the UK in some sort of fashion. Some people because and everyone have has uh, different reasons why, but I do think that there's not enough of a conversation around the financial piece. <laughs> and it's very concerning to be honest. It's like, yeah, that's great that you want to live your dreams. However, we, we've got to talk. Could you share some of the things that you did to kind of cover your ass before you got mm-hmm. here? I probably am more on there. And to be honest, Michelle, I was in a different position. You have to think things are different in London. And this is very common what I'm about to say, but I still lived at home. I was 26 and I still lived at home. That's very normal in London. People don't move out early. Some people do. If they do, they go and group roommates. But there are a lot of people that stay at home for a long time because it's expensive. I did have money saved up. And I had said that one thing I did do is I had a car. I had a really nice mini Cooper. <laughs> but you have to think back in what was this? 20... I love those cars. <laughs> yeah, 20, 2004. Yeah. And um, it was so sexy. Anyway, so I wasn't really using the car. My mom had a car, so it didn't make sense. So I sold my car um, and I was focused on saving the money. And I was going to either buy a house or buy a house or a flat or um, move to America. I knew I was going to do one of the two. So, yes, I did save up money because those things were mine. Now, the, the advantage I have, I have a, three, a few thousand. I don't think it was more than, it might have been five. It might not have been more than 10. And I can't remember at the time now, but I was focused on doing one of two things. And so I was being more pur- purposeful. Like I even remember, I normally travel a lot. And that one year I decided to go to Barcelona instead of doing a long haul trip. So I was being intentional in that way but like you said I also did have a job but I still had to buy a car I still had to rent a place and then also you know it's my first time leaving home but I guess you know my mom was always surprised like you did really well you just picked it up but I guess having those habits as well did help and so I am of the thing of be prepared but don't be overly prepared don't overthink it I love that Were there things that you would have done differently looking back or are you satisfied with how you approached everything? Are you talking about before I left or once I got here? Both. Either. Okay. So before I left, no, that was fine. I had a quite a good setup, not just with my job, but with, with some friends who I'm still friends with today. Cause a friend of mine in London had a cousin here and connected me with some people. So on that no I wouldn't have done anything different before I left I think money-wise I would have got a smaller apartment I had of course it wasn't expensive as it is now but I had like maybe eight maybe just under 900 square foot I didn't need all that space I could have just done with like a six seven hundred and you know had that money I think that's one thing I would have done differently and I would have had a therapist if I knew I would have had a therapist because it's I was so excited and so happy. I didn't know what it was like until it hit me. Maybe two months, three months after leaving and I was just bawling on the phone to all my friends. I didn't go home, but for that piece, because of the transition and you're not just moving to do another job, you're in a whole different culture. They may speak English, but it doesn't mean it's the same culture. For listeners who are thinking about moving abroad, 
what are some of the things that you would caution them about, encourage them to do? Just mm-hmm. what are some thoughts or suggestions that you would like to share? Because the whole whole goal with this series of content is to not only talk about the decisions that we make as women and how it impacts our, our money, but it's, it's like a broader view of how those decisions impact our lives. And the impact could be happiness, joy, attracting love. It could be the complete opposite depression, angst, Mm -hmm. poverty, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like anything can happen. And so I'm, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on what people should consider before they take a leap? And it's, it's a huge leap of faith really to go to another country. And I think also some people are doing it different to me. I already had some things set up. So if you don't have a job set up, it could be different, right? And I had to have a job set up because set, set up because of um because of you know being able to work here. So that I had to. That was so I would definitely find out all about what it takes to live in another country. Can you make money there? Um, would you be, you know, working online because your money is coming from America if you're if that's where you are? I always think about your income like how are you going to be making income and is that okay in that country in terms of visas in terms of you know immigration in terms of what's legal those are the most important things because dealing with immigration and each country is different but dealing with immigration like you mentioned Michelle is stressful and it's not easy And I was lucky that for a good portion of it, my company dealt with a lot and with the lawyers, although I did have to do some parts. So some of that was really take a lot of that was taken away from me. But there were still parts I had to do that was stressful in itself. So I, I would definitely say that. And then number two, I would definitely visit where you're trying to go. Now, I didn't visit Atlanta, but I had been to to America numerous times. Florida, like Chicago. And I had a friend that had some friends I'd mentioned had had visited. So I also got their feedback too. And I I trusted them, but I kind of got the gist of America. That would be my other thing is definitely to visit. Now we have, I didn't, I didn't have this, but now we have the power of YouTube, right? You have to think I came in 2006. So, so many things have changed and there are so many people doing YouTube videos on what it's like to move here and things like that. And take it with, but as you're listening, take it with a pinch of salt and definitely get quiet about your decision and know that you're going to be scary, but, you know, have your support system and, and go with of it in this mindset that I'm going to try this out. It might work. It might not work, but at least let me give this a try. So you don't feel like, oh, I had to come back and I feel like I'm a failure. Real question. What has been the difference between visiting versus living here? (laughs) I just told someone this today. I said, um, you know, America coming to America is like dating someone when you meet them they're really attractive and you like them you enjoy you enjoy <laughs> spending all this time uh, with them and then you live and then you live with them and you're like what 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 is this like you learn about policies you learn about things the, the, the everyday stuff that you don't know when you're visiting you don't know about 
what the rules and regulations and there's one thing in this state and another state um i never forget when i first came here and i bought a bottle of wine and when i first first came and this is when you couldn't buy wine here on a sunday and they were like you can't buy it. i was like what do you mean you can't buy that here what 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 do you mean so just those little you know when you go to the bank and you know they're still writing checks here like all of that it's just the little things, the day-to-day things. Don't get me wrong. There are some great stuff that make life super easy. Like when you can drive and you can turn right when it's a, you know, when it's a red light. And there's so many opportunities here to do really well. But it's also like you're finding out this person that you 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 thought was one way and then you date them. You're like, oh, this is all your stuff in the closet. Okay. <laughs> Um, it's funny too, because I find that to be so hilarious. I don't write checks by the way. So I'm Mm -hmm. just going to throw that out there. I have, I literally have not touched a check in years. Mm -hmm. So we're not, we're not like, we're phasing it out. (laughs) One of the things I think is intriguing is like the perception of the country versus the reality. Mm -hmm. And I, I often joke that each state is its own country. Mm. Have you noticed in your travels how that is the case in comparison to where you're living now? Yes, but I guess the most, the the thing I know is the most, okay, (laughs) I live in Atlanta. So I'm always going to know when there's less Black people. I'm like, where are all the Black people? And I'm very aware that I live in Atlanta and Georgia, not even the whole of Georgia is like that. So I think culturally, I notice those nuances that that are different but I don't know if I would see it as each country is its own, each state is its own country. Maybe if I was to say that it would be based on the terrain, how beautiful it is, the mountains or the desert and things like that. I don't know if I'm aware of it culturally, except when you go from the South to the North, of course, and you're in New York and it's just like, but because I'm from London, I'm used to that. So that might be the biggest difference I have. Have you been to the West? Yes, I have. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> I'm like, because I feel like it's different. It is. It's a different feel. It's a different vibe. But to me, I'm still in America. Uh, yeah, I think you'd have America. to live. I think I think that to your point, you'd have to live there. Mm, you know okay. what I mean? So so I've, I, I'm going to say it this way. I've been to 45 states. Mm, wow which is a little unusual. And, and I can say unequivocally, the States are different, like Mm -hmm. how the people are. And that's why there's so much friction. It's not because we're, it's like, there are just subtle things that create friction. And that's why you see a lot of the things that you see. So there might be mindsets around certain types of, of laws and access in one place and in another place, they're like, we don't have this issue. You'll get people being like, why are you? It's the same as your analogy, like uh, your dating analogy. We're just like, why are you like this? You know, so there's a reason why I hate to pick on Florida, but there's a reason why we pick on Florida because culturally some states are like, we literally do not understand why you think, why you do what you do. Like none of this makes sense. And then alligators, I would gently say Maybe there's an opportunity to live somewhere else for a short term just mm-hmm. to see the difference. I, I think that would be very intriguing. And if you ever do that, I want to follow your adventure because I think it'd be <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> it would be really interesting. 
Okay, if I do, I'll definitely let you know, Michelle. I'll let you I'll know. Keep, but I, I don't disagree with you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't disagree that there could be a difference. I really don't. I just haven't, definitely have not experienced that. You made this huge change. You took this huge risk, and obviously things changed, and you opted to go into entrepreneurship. Could you talk about what that transition was like, and what were some of the concerns mm -hmm. that you may have had. And the underlying subtext of this conversation in this series is women wanting more. How did going into entrepreneurship help you achieve that, especially in a foreign country? Mm. So again, <laughs> I think, I think, uh, Michelle, you're like putting me on the spot and I realize about something about myself. So I, worked in the travel industry. I, I want to say when I first came here with my job, I worked in the travel industry and I that's where I was working. So I did that for 10 years and then wanted a career change. And that's how I became a therapist. So I wasn't always a therapist. So here in the um, States, I did go back to do graduate, graduate university um, to do my master's in, in professional counseling. And so I, I don't think it, for me, Maybe it was intentional, but I didn't realize what I was saying at the time. But I remember saying, I don't, I didn't enjoy being at a desk Monday to Friday, nine to five. I've done it for 10 years. And I was like, there's no way I'm doing it again. That is just not for me. That's not how I'm wired. That's not how I'm made. That's not how I'm, what I'm interested in. I remember saying, I would love to see clients three days a week and do other stuff. Right. I, I remember saying that. And it wasn't until one day I was listening to this podcast because and then so once I graduated, I was you have to get your license. You have three years before you get your full license. So you're still under supervisor, supervisor and a director. So I worked in a hospital, mental health hospital, but I know I was also in private practice seeing clients and I had to do my own marketing to get clients. I was listening to this podcast and they're like, oh, you're really like but when you're in private practice, you're like a business owner, you're an entrepreneur. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I couldn't own, you can't own a practice when you're getting your license. However, I realized at that point, and this was a year after graduating, that my mindset could change. I didn't have to legally own a business, but I could definitely change my mindset. So things like separating my bank accounts, getting serious and realizing, oh, I really have to take this serious and start marketing. Oh, okay. Let me think about a niche, you know, who I want to talk to. So I think for me, the biggest thing is, is shifting the mindset and things like, okay, marketing. I don't like that word. All right. Let me use it as connecting. That's a great word that works for me. So those things that were scary to me or, you know, I, I wasn't too sure about I could keep going. And I always say to people, I mean, I, you know, I'm going to hop on and say, I think everyone benefits from therapy. But when you get into biz, um, business and entrepreneurship, I definitely believe that's important too, because it will bring so many different things out of you that you might not have known were there. I'm going to ask a little more pointedly. Yeah. What did you want your life to look like and how did going into this field of work and, and creating your own practice over time help you to facilitate that? Well, my life, I wanted my life to look like the three days working three, seeing clients three days a week. 
mm-hmm. that's one thing. Did you imagine like waking up naturally or volunteering oh, or just I, like, I, I want a broader picture. Yeah. Basically. Okay. No, no problems. Well, I guess for me, the three days a week was important because I wasn't doing nine to five. Right. And I wanted to have Fridays off. I didn't so much think about waking up naturally. I think for me, that came with time and realizing I don't do well working at nine. So I'm going to start my first client at 10. Um, I think wanting to be able to travel and still maintain, I didn't want to have, often you hear therapists have a number of number of jobs. I didn't want to have a whole number of jobs. I just wanted to have this one thing. I knew I wanted to do speaking. I knew I always wanted to have like a podcast and stuff. These were the things that were churning around in my head. And I feel like everything else came, came naturally. And so I would make sure I protected my time that I wasn't, even when I might not have been making the money I'm making today, I was willing to sacrifice that and not do work extra hours because I wanted to get in the habit and the mindset that I don't work on Fridays. I wanted to get in the habit and the mindset that I can only have this amount of clients. And so I think setting healthy boundaries with myself and letting other people know, like I kept talking about it. People will tell you all the time. I've been saying it for a long time. So I think that kind of let people know and also help. They would hold me accountable if I was overworking myself or anything like that. So I think those were the most important things for me. In having these these conversations, one of the things that I'm curious about is how policy has impacted some of your decisions and your decision making. And because you're coming from overseas, you've had different sets of access mm-hmm. and 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 policies and um, just different types of. You're originally from the UK, and clearly, it's a different country. There are different rules and social norms and and different policies. What are some of the policies that you have at home or just different types of access that, that you may have had back home in, in your home country versus what you have now? And what, what do you wish we could do better? And what are the things we do well? I think that would be so interesting to hear. Uh, I think okay. there's a lot of chatter around that. Mm-hmm. Each state is different. Before we get into this conversation, each state is different in terms of policies. I do want to point that piece out. What do you wish was better that would impact your business building in such a way that can make life easier? Or are there things that you're just like, oh my God, this is such a pain. Fill the tea. You know what? America does business and allows you to be an entrepreneur really well. When it comes to being an entrepreneur, there is not too many things I can fault America for. Of course, there's always stuff because there's so many grants you can access and things like that and support groups that is possible. I guess, I guess maybe telling more people how easy it is to start a business and, and people who might not know may think it's it's more than they than they realize, even if you're just going to get your LLC. So I think that's one thing America does really well is that the opportunities to own a business and do well are there. And I think that's the best thing. As a business owner, I'm just going to go back to healthcare. I have to pay for my own healthcare, right? And so England, I don't have to do that. I can freely think about that. 
and run my business. However, like I have my brother who has his business and he was telling me recently they're changing it where they're saying that if you own your own business, that if a company is paying you like a freelance company or, you know, a, that they have to take their taxes out and pay it to the government first before they pay you pay your business, right? It's just not business owner friendly to me. You have to think, you know, England especially is very classist you're going to have more of those barriers, which is kind of why, you know, the Americans came and they split away from, in, from, from England because of those, um, the classes system there, whereas this is definitely more free and more open. If you were to give advice to women on your podcast about taking an epic risk, mm-hmm. what would you want them to think about and know? Um, taking an epic risk. Don't overthink it. Make sure you get people who support you, not people who are trying to tell you tear you down. And that could be strangers. It could be a Facebook group. And know that this is an adventure. This might not be forever, but you are. This is an adventure, and you're just exploring because you don't want to do it and then feel like, oh, I had to come home in three months and six months. I failed. No, the fact that you got up and you left and you did it and you did all this planning, that's enough in itself. And so that would be, but definitely don't overthink it. Because if I overthought everything, I don't think I would be here. I love that. If I were to ask you about women wanting more, Mm -hmm. what are the things that you hear women expressing when they Mm. speak to you, just like as friends in passing in your, in your practice Hmm. or even friends back home? What are some of the things I feel like there might be universal issues. There might not be, but I would love to know what is it that we're expressing that we aren't getting or are unsure of uh, going after? I would say to be less stressed and overwhelmed, more peace, more calm, more confidence and more ease. And you know and thinking about my age group and then I'm thinking about the clients that might be in their 20s or their 30s I think it's it's somewhat it's similar but they're just like we're just not taking this anymore we're we're not just we want the best for ourselves we're not just accepting anything that's that's being given to us we don't have to and I think I think more and more women are finding their voice and how powerful their voice really is whereas in the past it may not have been supported or encourage. So I think I think that would be another one that support and that encouragement. Speaking about voice, talking about <laughs> voice, uh, I definitely want to talk about your projects, your podcast. Could you share a little bit about how that came about, what you share, and just anything that you want us to know so that we can support what you do and also gain from your wisdom? Mm, my podcast, it didn't break me. It's actually my second podcast. My first one was Authentic Wednesday. And I want to share that it's my second to go with what I was saying about life is an adventure. Life is about exploring. You know, you can pivot, you can make changes, right? And so I just want to share that for that reason. So it's my second podcast. And what it's about is people who I interview guests, they're all interviews. And it's really about things we think think would break us but they didn't and how those people are still here and how they're now giving themselves permission to be their authentic self and shine the light for others the stories are all different but the theme is the same you can overcome you can do it and it's not so much 
oh, I've done it all. It's I've done this, but I still might be doing this, but we can still, we can do, still do the hard things. And so I think that's important in the sense that when we feel like life has to be perfect or we have to get things all together and we kind of procrastinate over things and we just stay stuck in fear. So I think that's a big reason or not think I know that's a big reason I've done that podcast in that way. It didn't break me and the guests are just phenomenal. I can't wait to listen to your show. I love the concept. I think that it's it's just one of those universal topics mm. or universal experiences because there are moments where you're just like, I can't believe this is happening, you know? Mm. And I think it's beautiful that you're sharing your guests' experiences so that we can, we, the listener can benefit from their stories. For those of us who are in Atlanta, and would like to work with you or just would like to follow your work, how can we find you and support what you do? Yeah, so you can find me at authenticallybeyou.com and that's B-E-Y-O-U.com and everything is on there. All of my socials and my It Didn't Break Me on all of that info. And social, I'm, I'm the biggest on Instagram and that's again at authenticallybeyou and then you can also connect with me on LinkedIn, on Bianca Hughes. So those are the main places that I am at. Thank you so much. And oh, actually I have one last question. Yes, which is this. yes, yes, yes. I, 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 shoot, I, I just realized this. No problem. We talked about being bold and taking a risk and mm-hmm. um, just kind of like how life can be an adventure and it's okay to say no and set boundaries and design your best life. For someone who's never done that before, who, who's mm. nervous about designing their best life, what are some of the like easy tips or strategies, strategies you would encourage someone new to this idea where they're like, this feels very intense mm. to think this way or selfish? Like, are we being selfish for even having this conversation? Mm. Well, you asked, so I'll, I'll go back to the selfish. What's wrong with that? <laughs> you know kind of challenge that well what what do I mean by being selfish like why is that a bad thing or why is that not okay so you're challenging what you have learned and seeing if that fits is does that fit with who you are is this what you're trying to do like you know going to that selfish thing and then the other thing I would do is think about what you did as a child what did you enjoy? What did you get lost in? What caught your attention? What's that thing you might do today where you still feel childlike? Because I still feel like playing and being childlike is so important. And obviously sometimes for women, that's just like, you just got to have a long to-do list and (laughs) there's no time for fun. And so it can feel really hard and selfish because that's what we're taught more so if you see men play video games more often than women do and more playful um it's not always encouraged with us so I can understand why it can feel selfish and why it can feel hard but go back to child and and what you do today what brings you joy create a Pinterest board um sometimes it's a lot easier with with images than and you can just keep it secret no one has to look at it that's easier with images than sometimes writing things down 